uh, seven police officers firing simultaneously in the same instant. That struck me, and I've talked about this all morning. What struck me is that no one gave the command to fire. Here's a man who's holding what appears to be a gun, turns out to be a gun, but a BB gun, pointing it at police officers and advancing on police officers who in the same instant realized the line had been crossed. There, there is now a point of no return. We have to act. And there was no command given. They, they simply did it on the basis of their training. This is in no way a criticism. But it turns out to be an even more significant point than I realized. And here to step us through this, uh, Phil Holloway. You listen to Phil Holloway over on our sister station, the mothership WSB in Atlanta. And you, you should seek out his podcast. Sworn is the podcast. Deals with situations precisely like this. Uh, use of force uh, when it's called for, when it's not on the part of law enforcement. Phil Holloway, thanks for joining us on short notice this morning. Happy to do it. I'm sorry it's about such a tragic situation, but always happy to help. Uh, and I mentioned, and I've said a couple of times, that there was no command given. I, it would, I don't know that we would expect it, but you tell me we shouldn't. You're not trained to listen for a command individually, collectively. And you know from where you speak here, you're trained in law enforcement, that, that you're not given any order. You simply act based on your training and your instinct and what you understand the threat at hand to be. That's absolutely right. Law enforcement officers, and you have to keep in mind, you know, these uh, men and women face these situations oftentimes by themselves. And so there's never like a firearms instructor around to say, okay, it's time to fire. That's just not how it works in the real world. They're trained to use their best judgment. And if that judgment is that, hey, my life is in danger or the life of a third party is in danger and it's time to use deadly force, then that's what they do. And the fact that multiple officers all made that decision at the same time, it tells me that it's probably the right decision. Uh, from what I have seen about this case, and I do want to reserve judgment until the entire investigation is complete, because like we've talked about, videos don't always tell the whole story, but they do tell a lot. So I expect, based on what I have seen, unless something comes to light that changes my opinion, I expect that this will be justified as a legitimate use of uh, deadly force. And the fact that not one but multiple officers came to the same conclusion independently of one another says that it meets the legal test of being uh, something that was just objectively reasonable under the totality of the circumstances a reasonable officer in the same situation would do the same thing. Uh, you bring up a point, and actually, honestly, my wife was asking me this question just last night. Okay, we, we say it almost as a matter of, I don't know, boilerplate. The GBI is investigating, and at this moment, uh, the GBI investigating 18 officer-involved shootings just this year in Georgia, and probably, in some cases, the backlog left over from last year. My wife's question to me, I couldn't answer it. I'll ask you, and you alluded to this a moment ago, the investigation not yet over. What's left by way of investigation? What's left to learn? What they should be doing is they should be giving these officers who are involved in the case a couple of sleep cycles so that they can then be debriefed. It's important that, you know, look, this was a homicide. It's not necessarily a criminal homicide, but this was a homicide. And people who are involved in these situations, they've suffered a traumatic event. So you don't want to necessarily be interviewing and debriefing officers who may be experiencing some type of aftershocks or PTSD-related sort of symptoms. You want to give them a couple of sleep cycles and then bring them in for an interview in a, in a setting that's not, you know, 
hectic and, and chaotic like what you can imagine in the aftermath of a shooting. There's going to be verbal statements. They're going to be recorded, probably video, uh, maybe audio interviews. They're going to take written statements. They're going to talk to any bystanders. They're going to do a thorough investigation into all of the circumstances that led up to this tragic event because that is what the law requires. It requires us to look at these situations under the totality of the circumstances, not just what you see on the video, but everything that led up to it, everything that happened during the event, and and they've got to get all of the facts before they can make a final determination. Again, Phil Holloway with us, attorney in Atlanta. You hear him on our sister station, WSB, a legal analyst for them, his podcast, Sworn, which deals with these types of cases, real-life cases in which real-life officers make real-life, life-and-death decisions and do so in an instant, as was the case on Friday evening in Athens, the church parking lot there on Westlake. One of the things that's being pointed out is, well, it wasn't a real gun. Is there any way on earth? for the law enforcement to know that in that moment. Anybody who's seen these airsoft guns uh, will be immediately struck by their resemblance to a real gun. In fact, especially if you take the orange tip that sometimes is present on them, you take that off, and a lot of people do, they're virtually indistinguishable from the genuine article. And I've said this uh, for basically as long as I've, I've been involved in this type of work. These guns are treated by law enforcement just like a real gun is because they really don't know. There's nothing that would alert them to the fact that this is a toy gun. It looks real. They oftentimes feel real, and they will be treated just like a real gun. So I don't think that that in and of itself is going to be something that would make this unjustified. I think that airsoft guns, these replica firearms, when I was a prosecutor, I can't remember, I can't count how many people I've prosecuted for robbing uh, a, a gas station or a store using an airsoft gun. They were charged with armed robbery, and they were convicted and punished just the same as if it, they, you know, it were a real gun. They go into these situations with these replica guns thinking that somehow the penalty associated with it is going to be less, but it's not. And it's not for a reason. Those guns are designed to scare people. They are designed to look like the real thing, and police act accordingly. Uh, Phil Holloway with us. Uh, again, to, to back to where we started here and talking about this, we, we spoke just last week about the use of lethal force, deadly force, any kind of force on the part of law enforcement and the objective standards required to 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 legitimize that use of force. Uh, to your point, as we started here, it is tragic that so soon after that conversation, we, we turn that into a teachable moment and, and learn here. But I mean, I hope that we learn from this. And I, I hope we further appreciate just how difficult and demanding this job we're asking people to do, this job of putting on a badge and carrying a gun and getting between us and harm's way. These officers don't want to kill anybody. They don't want to have to use force, certainly this type of force. You know, I went a whole career without having to use deadly force in law enforcement, but unfortunately these young officers now, they are faced with circumstances that maybe I never had to face. You know, these airsoft guns, they didn't exist when I was working in the streets. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that I think that this is the type of situation that hopefully these these officers will be able to come back from. Hopefully this will be something that doesn't affect them 
personally to the point that you know maybe they just want to find something else to do but when i have worked with officers who have used deadly force i can tell you from that experience it affects them profoundly they do not want to, to do this type of thing they wear the gun they they and they they carry it and they know why they're carrying this gun they know why they're issued this equipment but they hope they never have to use it so i hope that once all the dust settles in this case these officers can uh accept that they did what they apparently had to do and they'll be able to get back to work and move on with their lives and one more thing and i promise I'll let you go on this one phil holloway the way this was rolled out over the weekend the the release of the dash cam body cam on sunday generally speaking uh, the harmful helpful how does that play out i think it was probably helpful the there's nothing wrong with the transparency when an agency, you know, just decides to release video and, and release information, the uh, and I'm glad to see that that they are going to let another agency look at it. It's not always required to let the GBI do it, but in this particular case, I think it makes sense, and I think that it also makes sense that before there's a, a final conclusion about justified versus not justified. They're going to let that investigation run its course and not make any sort of knee-jerk reactions about it. And I hope the public can do the same thing. And Phil Holloway, thanks for your time this morning. You bet. Have a great day.